Before we open up uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 today, let's just bow one more time for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we open up these, these verses together, Lord, would you, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the words of the Apostle Paul, and may the gravity of his message hit home with us. Lord, may we be on the lookout. May, be, may we be watchful of our life and our teaching, our doctrine. Lord, let us be mindful of, of holding fast to the truths of Scripture and then living those truths out as we interact with one another in, in our lives. Oh, Lord, teach our hearts. Give us understanding. May your spirit speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is On the Lookout. I remember one time uh, my family and I were driving back from a Detroit Tigers game one summer night. We had, uh, I had really wanted to go to a night game. I just love the atmosphere of going to a, a night uh, sitting under the lights. And the problem is, though, uh, driving all the way back to Claire after a night game. And uh, we typically now will we'll just find a hotel and stay down there. But this particular night, we didn't. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm wake enough. We'll be all right. I can, I can get us back home. Well, at about like the 12.30, 1am mark, I started to hit the wall. And uh, she was dozing next to me. The kids were asleep in the back, and I could just feel that the weight on my eyelids. And I'm battling to try to keep awake. And all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden, I'm, I hear chatter bumps and I feel uh, the wheels on turf. And I know that that's not where they're supposed to be when you're driving up 75. And um, by God's grace, it was uh, it was it was a flat part of the median, and I'd only gone a, a sh- just, a, just into the edge, and, and we were safe, we were fine, and my wife uh, was wide awake and decided she was going to drive the rest of the way home. And, uh, you know, when, when you're in, in those moments, um, it can be easy, it just as fatigue overcomes you, you're, you're, not, you're no longer alert, your senses have been dulled, you're not paying attention like you would maybe in daylight or when you're wide awake or you've had a, a big cup of coffee. And, you know, in the spiritual realm, the, the same can be true. For whatever reason, and there are many, we can fall asleep at the wheel. Timothy is charged by the Apostle Paul to a life of alertness, of watchfulness. He's commanded to be on the lookout, to not fall asleep at the wheel. We've seen this theme several times throughout the book of 1 Timothy. But as we come here to chapter 4, uh, we're going to read the end of, end of the chapter, verses 11 through 16, and we'll see this, this strong, deep, heartfelt exhortation from Paul that Timothy pour everything he can into keeping a close watch, be on guard, on the lookout, alert, and in particular for two areas. He says, on your, your life, yourself, and the teaching. Let's read these verses together. Verse 11 says, command and teach these things. Now, that's probably referring back to what 
verses 1 through 10 said about, about uh, being on guard against false teachers and on living a life of godliness, training yourself for godliness. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In these six short verses, the Apostle Paul gives nine imperatives, nine commands. You can, you can feel his intensity rising up. He's coming out of his seat. He's leaning in a little bit. And he says, Timothy, I want you to listen up. This is really, really important. You remember taking a test or, 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 or sitting in class, I should say, in high school or in college, and you're zoning out, you're, you're daydreaming about the weekend or just anything besides what's being taught, and all of a sudden, you hear the phrase, something like, listen up. And for some of us, that might jar us out of our daydream, for others, maybe not. But the phrase that sometimes follows that is sure to get our attention where they say, this will be on the test. Those magical words all of a sudden will jolt, I should say, not all of us, but maybe most of us, uh, into alertness, into readiness, into to, our ears are wide open now. We pick up that pencil that hasn't been in use all class, and now we're ready to take notes because we know that this is important. The language that Paul's using here at the end of chapter 4 with these imperative commands, it's like, it's like we, we sit up a little straighter and, and we, we, we listen a little more closely because Paul, he says, I want you to be mindful here. I want you to be alert. I want you to be watchful. And what are the two things he's talking about? Well, I get them from verse 16. And the first one is, Timothy, watch your life. We need to be watching our life. This is the, 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 the behavior, the, the way that we walk among other Christians and in the world that we've been called to live in. The Puritan Thomas Brooks said, example is the most powerful rhetoric. We can talk a good game, but do our actions back it up? He says, Timothy, watch your life. This flows from or reiterates the command in verse 7 where he says, train yourself for godliness. Remember, we said godliness was awe of God that translated into holy living. It was this, this devotion to God that, that, that manifested itself in the way that we lived, the way that we walk, the, the way that we interact with people. He says, Timothy, watch your life. And then he gets, he gets specific. If you go back up to verse 12, what this should look like. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, 
in faith, in purity. At this point in his ministry, Timothy was likely in his late 30s. Now, that doesn't seem so much like youth, especially in a culture where a life expectancy wasn't what it is in our culture today. 30s, um, you know, was probably year-wise, decade-wise, was not necessarily that young. But in order to be someone who gained a hearing in front of others, age was a huge plus. The older, the better. And Timothy, for his age, was someone who was struggling at times to gain the hearing of those in his midst. And there were those who looked down upon him for his relative youthfulness. I just want to say here as a footnote, young people, you are never, ever too young to be used by God. Let these words stick home with you. Let no one disregard you for your youth. So often, God will call men and women into ministry while they're still young. Let no one despise you for your youth. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has gifted you and wants to use you to build his church. And there's not one person in this room who is too young, whose life is unimportant, whose gifts are somehow second rate. Let no one despise you for your youth. But he he says, as he's enjoining Timothy to watch his life, to to watch his behavior, he, he tells him to set an example in several different categories. The first one is speech. He says, Timothy, I want you to set an example in speech. You know, it's, um, the mouth is often like on the front lines of getting us in trouble, is it not? Some of us have perfected the art of putting our foot in our mouth or, or, or getting in trouble with our words. Um, the Bible tells us to be slow to speak, quick to listen. But some of us struggle with getting that flip-flop, don't we? And we get in trouble by speaking first and thinking later. And we regularly repeat to ourselves, I shouldn't have said that. Ugh, what was I thinking? Sometimes our words can really get us into trouble. Our speech, having words that build up, that edify, that encourage, is, is commanded. In fact, Jesus spoke very harshly to the, to the Pharisees about their words. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like, the words that come out of our mouth reflect what's inside. They're not just surface-level things but they come from deep down. When we speak words that are hurtful, it didn't just come off the top of our head. It comes from some kind of a a bitterness or an anger towards those people or a desire to make ourselves look good or whatever it is. It comes from down deep. And he tells us, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Stop and listen to that for a second. Jesus said to us that you and I will give an account for the careless words that we speak. How many things have we said this week that were absolutely careless, that that were hurtful, that tore down, 
that, that we knew would cut somebody, but we sent them anyways, that we knew would discourage, that, that we knew would, would offend. Paul told the Colossians to let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, the kinds of words that, that make people want to come back for more. The things that you say have a tremendous amount of power in people's lives. And one of the ways that we watch our lives is by watching the things that we say. He tells Timothy to be an example in his speech, but also in his conduct, his behavior. Our lives as Christians should demonstrate the work of the Spirit of God. When you put these two together the speech and the conduct, they, they come together and form like it's, it's most of what people see about us. You see, people can't see our motives. They can't read our minds. They don't know what's going on inside. But people can see and hear. They see the things we do. They hear the things we say. And if we're to have any kind of impact in the world for Jesus Christ... We need to watch carefully these two areas, our speech and our conduct. But he also says to be an example in love. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love. You know, it's great to be known for some kind of um, awesome accomplishment in this world. You know, you can flip on the television and um, today's the last week of regular season football, and, and you've got guys who are pouring everything, their entire lives into accomplishments, trying to, trying to get a Super Bowl ring or, or, or set a, a career record for touchdowns or yardage or whatever it might be. They're, they're pouring everything into these earthly accolades. As believers, we have a lot of goals in life. I mean, we're human beings. We go to work and we have families to provide for. But if, if, our, if our goal is to be known for our 401k or how big our house is or what an awesome car we have or how many, how many um, antlers that we have on the wall or, or how, many, how many participation trophies our kids have stacked up in their rooms, It's going to amount to nothing. Jesus told us to, to lay up treasures in heaven. And one of the ways that we do that is by loving one another. The Apostle Paul said some astounding things in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries... And all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, just stop right there for a second. Those are, that's a, that's a pretty amazing list. I mean, if we're Christians, wouldn't that be a, a great resume? I can understand all the prophecies. I have prophetic powers. I can tell you, uh, give you insights into truths that nobody else understands. Understanding all the mysteries. Wouldn't it be great if someone could come to you and you would have every answer for every verse in the book of Revelation? 
You had, there, there, was, there was no mystery in the spiritual realm that was unclear to you. What an amazing gift. Or, or what about the faith to move mountains? I mean, faith is to, to move mountains? Paul says, I could have all of those things. But he says, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. You see, you can be the most super spiritual looking person. You can come to church 52 Sundays a year. You can be the biggest tither on the membership roll. You can volunteer and serve and kids ministry and help out funeral dinners and just pour your lifeblood into the service of the church. You could memorize huge chunks of scriptures where you're able to quote an entire book of the Bible to someone if they asked you. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You could earn six figures a year. Have a garage for your sports cars that's bigger than most of our houses. You could have the greatest hunting property in the county. If you don't have love, it's nothing. God calls us to be people who loved Jesus or John said to us in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. When we love each other, we reflect, we demonstrate, we show that we know God, that we have a relationship with him. People who don't love, John tells us, don't know God. And when we love like God calls us to love, that means that we're going to love like Jesus loved, sacrificially. Giving of our heart, giving of our time, sacrificing for one another. Paul says to Timothy, and he says to you and me, let's set an example for the believers in love. Next one he says is faith. Set an example for the believers in faith. As Paul stated at the outset of this letter in chapter 1, verse 5, God's plan operates by faith that is sincere and issues from a pure heart. God calls us to live lives of faith. The Christian life is one of dependence upon God. And let me say this, and this is I've said this before, one of the great struggles of preaching through a book of the Bible is that I can't skip the parts that convict me. And as I'm sitting here wrestling with this, I know that the Lord's speaking to me. Do our lives demonstrate that we're dependent upon God for anything? I mean... We, we go to school and get a good education so we can get a good job, and we work hard, and we make money, and we've, we've become so self-sufficient in our culture that there can be no room sometimes for faith, for just simply 
trusting God. We've got mechanisms and procedures in place to help us help us do all kinds of things. You go in the Christian bookstore, go into the, the church ministry section, and, and there are megachurch pastors that will show you the, the steps. If you do A, B, C, and D, boom, you will have yourself a megachurch. And it's almost like there's, there's no place for that childlike dependence upon God in our lives sometimes. I wonder if, if people could follow us day in and day out for a year. They lived with us. They went to work with us. They saw how we spent our money. They, they saw where we went, how we used our free time. I wonder if at the end of the year, they would notice a dependence upon God. I wonder if there's anything in our lives that they would see where they would step back and say, He's a little bit crazy. She, she's a little bit out there. To think that God could do that, to be trusting in him in this way, to live a life of not knowing where, where, what tomorrow's going to hold, that's, that's scary. I wonder if there are things in our life where people could say, only God could do that. That happened because he or she believes in an almighty, powerful God. And like a child, they, they put their trust and their faith rested solely in God, and he showed up in a powerful way. I wonder if in 2019, not if, but what God is calling you to radically trust him for. What is he radically calling you to step out in faith in so that as others watch your life and your conduct and your example, they would say, she is a woman of faith. He is a man of faith, of bold faith. His God is big. Her God is powerful. And they trust him. And then finally, he says to Timothy, set an example in purity. In your life, let it not be said that there is any kind of sexual misconduct, any inappropriate behavior, the kinds of things that you're doing on the internet, the kind of texts you're sending to coworkers, that they are, like 1 Timothy 3 said, above reproach. Above board, Timothy was to be a man who set an example in purity. My brothers and sisters, we're, we need to watch our lives. Not fall asleep at the wheel when it comes to our conduct. But the other thing that we need to watch is our teaching. Uh, different translations render this a little bit different. Um, my translation says, watch the teaching. Uh, some of them render it your teaching. It probably encompasses both idea. That is, the things that Timothy received from Paul, the, the training that he had received, the doctrinal instruction in the truths of Scripture, he was supposed to watch that closely. 
but also in the things that he shared as a pastor, as someone who proclaimed the word of God, as someone who taught the word of God, he was also supposed to watch that. So made sure that he stand, uh, stood firm in the things that he had learned and that those things were what came through in his teaching, that he didn't deviate either in his doctrinal belief or in his pastoral instruction from the clear teaching of the Word of God. Paul is reminding Timothy that he must embrace and personally persevere in that which he teaches. My brothers and sisters, this first of all begins in, in your devotional life. Now, I don't always like the word devotional because it can have some um, different connotations for us, but here's what I mean. In your private time with God, in your alone time, your, your, your relationship that you cultivate with God, the, being able to stand firm on correct, true, biblical teaching starts with your own discipline, your own time with the Lord. You've heard me say it countless times. We need to be people of the Word of God. Be people who understand the Scriptures, who listen to sound biblical teaching. Come back to the Word of God like the Bereans and say, okay, does this line up? And then hold fast to the truths of Scripture. There are all kinds of temptations to make compromises on doctrine. We get the cultural pressures. We have things that, that may be convicting to us as we read them, and we think, it's easier if I just turn the page. It's easier if I just ignore that. There are lots of different ways that we can swerve from the truth. And Paul says, Timothy, watch your teaching. This begins in your devotional life. And then it will be evident in public worship. As Paul was talking to his young protege who was in charge of pastoring this church in Ephesus, he says, your teaching, the the doctrine that you've received, it, it starts with you holding fast, being rooted and grounded and then it will come out as you and, and, and my people gather together for worship. And we don't know exactly what that looked like, whether it was in smaller house churches or they gathered together in large assemblies. It was probably a combination of the two. But he says, I want you to, in, in verse, um, verse 13, says, gives, you, gives him uh, three things that he should do as he holds fast to the teaching, as he watches his teaching. He said that should come out in, uh, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That is, um, reading the Word of God. It probably included Old Testament passages, very likely included the, the letters that he had received from Paul. He said, I want you to read these Scriptures in the hearing of, of everyone. He says, uh, devote yourself to exhortation. This is probably the, the oral delivery of messages in the context of congregational worship. And then he says, you're teaching, which more likely, it could be a synonym for exhortation, but it could have uh, also contained some of the more uh, doctrinal instruction that went on, maybe privately, one-on-one through discipleship or in, in those smaller house groups. He says, I want, as, as you play a 
pay close attention to the teaching, first on your own, may it then be manifest as you come together to worship. That's it's one of the clear commands believers have when we gather together to worship God, whether it's a large assembly like this or those who meet in smaller groups or in homes, the, the public reading of Scripture, the teaching and proclamation of God's Word must be foundational. And the reason that Paul keeps coming back to this and harping on it is because he knows how easy it is to be led astray. We've already seen it in chapter 1, we've seen it in chapter 4, and we'll see it again in chapter 6, that there were those who wandered from the faith, were teaching things that were not rooted in the Scriptures. They had created their own things, brought together hybrid, mushed-up stuff that ended up being watered down and unbiblical. That's why Paul is so adamant about this. As we think about watching our life in our teaching or our doctrine. I just, I can't, I'm, I'm just, I'm floored by verses 15 and 16 and how intense Paul is about this. Look at, look at it again at verses 15 and 16. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself in the teaching. Persist in this. You hear all those words that indicate like, all in this, <laughs> persist, practice, immerse. Those are the kinds of things that we as believers are called to. We've seen it already here in this book. This, my brothers and sisters, we're not in a game. This is, this is, not, this is not recess time. We're in a battle. And, and we have an enemy who would love for us to not keep a close watch on our lives or on our teaching. He would love for us to not care two wits about what our life looks like out in the world. He would love for us to not give a rip about being biblical. And Paul says, no, Timothy, you need to be all in here. We're not messing around. There are a lot of things that we can devote ourselves to, and even good causes and, and seemingly morally neutral things that would be okay and even acceptable among Christians to spend our time and money and energy into. But he says, no, 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 no. I want you to immerse yourself in watching your life and in your doctrine, and lest we forget what's at stake. The end of verse 16 reminds us, he says, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There are eternal issues at stake. Salvation issues. People's souls We're reminded in the Word of God that perseverance is part of the Christian life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I'll remind you the gospel I preached, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, ongoing, present tense, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Heart of a follower, someone who is truly a born-again, committed follower of Jesus Christ is going to persevere and persist in these things. That's why Paul is so riled up that Timothy pay attention to his life and to his teaching. How do we do that? We've already alluded to it. Be in the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. Know your God. Know the Scriptures. And then approach them with a heart of prayer that says, Lord, search me. Like David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way within me. Constantly hold our lives up to, uh, look at our lives through the lens of scriptures and say, God, does, does my life and my teaching, my beliefs line up here? And then I think when you do that on your own and then you couple it with doing it with other believers, where you're gathered together, not just here in a large group, but when you meet with people who can speak truth into your life, where you're humble enough to listen to words of rebuke and challenge, and they have the courage to do so, you're on the right path to watching your life in doctrine. Um, It can be a dangerous thing to fall asleep at the wheel. I was fortunate when I did, we didn't crash. Everybody was safe. But how much more dangerous is it to fall asleep at the wheel spiritually? To find that we've wandered through life aimlessly, pursuing our own desires and our own goals and whatever else the world is calling us to chase after. Oh, that we might watch our lives and our teachings so that we can save both ourselves and those with whom we have the privilege of serving. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, oh, let us be on the lookout. Let us be mindful of the gravity of the the task you've called us to. By sending your only son, Jesus, we were shocked and startled into a reality that our sin was so serious it deserved death. And yet you would love us so much that you gave your son as the one to be our substitute, to die in our place. What great love is that? What amazing grace. Oh God, as we seek to live out this Christian life, and we keep a close watch on how we live, let us be examples in our speech, in our behavior, in our love for one another, in our dependence upon you, and in in our purity.
And then, Lord, help us to watch our doctrine, our, our teaching. Let us hold fast to the truths of Scripture. As we come across hard texts, may we not just set the Bible aside, but labor under the wisdom of your Holy Spirit to understand and apply. Let us not be content with a, a couple minutes with you before we walk out the door every morning, but may we seek to know you. Let us watch our life and doctrine. Let us be people who impact others because we have first committed ourselves to these twin commands in Scripture. Thank you, God, for your, your spirit who's enab who enables us to do any of these things. May we rest in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.